It's so weird that we're just like jumping right into it. We don't usually do that. Okay. That's what she so. said. Oh God. Stop. <laughs> Hi everybody. Welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimgard book series and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. If you've been following along with us, then you know that our podcast covers two episodes of the series at a time, and today we are arriving at Legend of Korra Season 2, Episode <laughs> 1, The Rebel Spirit, or excuse me, just Rebel Spirit. Um, yes. <laughs> I am immediately taken back as I'm reading the credits on this that it is written, first of all, it is not only not written by Michael Dante, DiMartino, and Brian Konetsko. Sorry, guys, if you were getting used to hearing those names over and over again every podcast. We just <laughs> right. pre-recorded me saying it and just kept redoing it. I didn't even read it out loud every time. Um, it's actually <laughs> written by Tim Hedrick, who we know so well from Avatar The Last Airbender. Yep. Explain. I, I don't know. <laughs> I genuinely, I have been trying and I do have some, I guess, tea, quote unquote, some piping hot tea about season two. But mm -hmm. in terms of the actual, um, like why they decided to have a new writing team and a new uh, directing team for this season, I don't know. I, I know that um, Michael and Brian, that they work on some of the later episodes this season, because like mm. I like I told you, I'm ahead, so um, I'm rewatching ahead, and I'm on like episode seven or eight right now, and I've noticed that their names are in some of these credits, but for some reason they are not doing the full, you know, the full season like they did with Legend of Korra. So I don't know why. Uh, maybe they uh -huh. just need a break, which is totally on. That's like that's totally valid if they did. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's true. Um, but yeah, it's good to see it's good to see Tim back. I mean, we know Tim from a lot of episodes from uh, from the Avatar. Uh, some of the most notable that spring to mind are, of course, the Deserter and uh, Lake Lao Guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and he also did was it the mm -hmm. City of Walls and Secrets? Was that the name I of it? I believe so. I believe so. So he pretty much did all the like bossing say stuff. Mm -hmm. Like half of it was him. Yep. And uh, we love you, Tim. <laughs> yeah, we do. We love you, Tim. It's good to see you, buddy. Um, <laughs> now, here's a name I don't recognize, so remind me if he's somebody we've seen before. Uh, the episode is directed by Colin Heck. I'm 98% sure he's not done Legend of Avatar stuff, or <laughs> Legend of Avatar. <laughs> he didn't do anything. He didn't do any any of Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah, um, I... I cannot for the life of me remember if we've seen this name before or not either. Um, if so, sorry, Colin, you must've just done like one episode if you have been, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't recall seeing his name when we did avatar. No, I don't recall either. So welcome. And also sorry, because here you are in <laughs> legend of Korra season two, <laughs> we hope for great <laughs> things for you going forward. Right. And now here's a big surprise for me, but also not a big surprise because when I was mm -hmm. watching the episode, I my immediate <laughs> first spot is wow, this animation took a big step down from where it was <laughs> yep. last time because it is animated by Studio uh, Perot, I believe is how it's pronounced. Yeah. Perot. Yeah. 
<laughs> we'll, we'll we'll talk about it. That's going to be like a whole discussion in and of itself because that's where a lot of my tea comes from. A lot of the research that I did about season two was about this production company. So we'll talk about it later. Okay. Um, All right. So yeah. I'm assuming it'll be I'm assuming it'll be somewhere in either the fun facts or there's just going to be like tea time with Amanda. Is that like a new section of yes. the podcast? We might want to <laughs> yeah. we might want to do that for season two or just have tea time with Amanda. <laughs> right yes um and the episode aired uh september 13th 2013 the imdb rating of the season two premiere rebel spirit is 7.7 out of 10 which i think is a big not bad in flashing lights (laughs) right yeah um definitely one of the lower of the uh opening episodes for a season of avatar or legend of korra um you know on the lower end but still not right. you know a six or below so yeah um, right right well yeah. <laughs> take us away with some fun facts all right um the moving picture varick showed to asami and bolin is similar to sally gardner at a gallop a sequence of photographs depicting a galloping horse considered as the first film now i'll just say this because i that's exactly what i thought of when um when i rewatched the episode i was like oh yeah that's right like what one of the first films films quote unquote ever made was you know an image of a horse galloping and i think that they used that in the movie nope like that was a big plot point the jordan peele movie nope that came out like last year i haven't seen it but i saw the trailer mm-hmm. um so i just i've seen it oh really yeah because uh i was like oh yeah that that's true so i'm i love the film history that went into that little segment <laughs> um, yeah yeah and the uh the second fun fact is that in the episode's dvd commentary brian knitsko stated that the chibi ang being part of an in-universe attraction was a fun and organic way to include the design in the show I think I might have shared them with you um, when we were doing Avatar, but they're like Avatar chibi shorts that they put on like YouTube and Nickelodeon just for fun. They, they weren't they weren't canon at all, but they're really cute. And they like chibified all the characters and all that. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so this was a way for them to like take those designs, but put them in universe, you know, as a fun little, you know, hey, people that watch those shorts, me. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway. I guess you had to be there. Yeah, right. Um and then our third and final fun fact is that this is the first episode of Legend of Korra, and we are kind of already said this, but not to be written by either Michael Dante DiMartino or, or Brian Konietzko, and the first not to be directed by Joaquin DeSantos or Kihon Ryu. Um, yeah, you are, you are missed, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, oof, that's rough, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and the words of Zuko. There they are looking for like the crew sheet, and then Brian and Mike's names are on it. Like, that's it? Where's the rest of it? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh boy. So with that being said, um, let's get into it. I'm actually I I mean, I've been hyping, like kind of de-hyping this season up. <laughs> What's the opposite <laughs> of hyping? Demolishing. <laughs> Oh, um, but uh, you've been you've been razz, you've been razzing it. Yes, there we go. Um, and mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure right from the get go, you can see why. Like this, it's not. Well, let's just, yeah. why, why why don't we jump into the animation? Because talk yeah. about seeing why, like <laughs> Studio Perot, like God bless all of you, but like <laughs> right. man, it's a big step down from Studio Mirror for the first season. 
Yes. And um, so there actually is a bit of a story behind why there was that change in animation studios and why there was such a noticeable downgrade in the overall animation. Like, let's let's make one thing clear. The animation is still good like it's still if it wasn't legend of korra you know if it didn't come off the heels of one of the best animated seasons of anything then i feel like people would be more forgiving because it's very anime-esque which is not known for great fluid you know expressive animation but 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 at the same time there's a lot of holes in studio perot's style there's a lot of really stiff like when it's not a fight sequence there's a lot of really stiff movements and there's a lot of really basic shots and more importantly (laughs) there's a lot of things out of proportion facial facial features out of proportion just like literally i'm watching a character i'm watching like a pupil not fully filled in i'm like come on man like (laughs) take two more seconds on this frame it's a keyframe yeah it's not Um, even moving yeah so we'll we'll get more into the actual animation itself but for the story for the tea time um so studio mir was founded before korra like we all knew that they did all of the first season of legend of korra um and they got contracted for legend of korra because one of the founders of studio mir had worked on avatar and had a good relationship with brian and michael and so when Mm. it was time for season two to come around they uh studio mir decided that they wanted to work on the boondocks because they had put so much effort and so much time and just like blood sweat and tears studio mir did do the boondocks Mm -hmm. didn't they yep as soon as you said it i could see it (laughs) thinking about the animation of course it's studio mir Mm -hmm. okay all right yeah all right i'm on board because they thought that you know with legend of Korra being such a like monumental show that they worked on the first season they were so burnt Mm -hmm. out that they're like we're gonna go to do the boondocks because we think that might be easier on us like on our team Mm -hmm. and so and i guess that they were right because it was easier it was less animation that they had to do and it was just a much easier job Mm -hmm. um so nickelodeon brought in studio perot or not perot wait no Perot, and which is a Japanese studio um, that had worked on Naruto, Bleach. I'm not quite sure what Bleach is. I've never heard of that anime, but... Yeah, yeah. Bleach is an anime. I can kind of see it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they had worked on all these other big anime, so they were brought over to work on the second season. And while they had worked on a bunch of big properties, you know, animes in Japan, um, their work on Korra was uh, not quite up to what the standard was because of Studio Mir. <laughs> So basically literally seven episodes into working on the show, um, like Nick Lane was like, we got to get Mir back. Like this is, this is bad. <laughs> so they literally begged Mir to come back and finish the season. Uh, Cause I believe the season is 14 episodes. So to finish the second half of the season, because they were so upset with how it was turning out animation wise. Um, so so we're going to see (laughs) what you're trying to say is we're going to see for one of our podcast episodes, we're going to do episode seven and Mm -hmm. eight. And we're going to see this massive jump in the animation (laughs) back to the style we're used to. And it's crazy. Yes. And it's crazy because I think personally in um, the last couple episodes of season two, it has some of the best animation, all of legend of Korra. It is immaculate. Like, it is stunning. Mm. And I. it's almost like they were like, you know what? We got to fix this mess. We're going to put everything we have into this next seven episodes animation wise, because this is not good. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they, they really, they threw themselves into the last seven episodes and they create some truly incredible animation. Um, 
but nice. so that's that's basically what happened um and then from there on after the end of season two studio mir did the rest of the seasons, seasons three and four so you don't have to worry about hmm. a drop in animation quality or anything past you know the, these next seven oh episodes <laughs> yeah thank you because you, you know how bad it bothers me <laughs> yeah so here's here and as someone that has watched the show you know a million times and is a huge animation fan to me here are the personal problems that i have with animation uh with the animation done in the first seven episodes of legend of Korra season two one when it's not fight scenes it's inc the animation is incredibly stilted and yeah. even when we're focusing on the characters as they're talking like you don't have to be moving a ton but they are like literally cardboard cutouts with moving mouths it's so infuriating yep. <laughs> because in yep it the is in the first season, they were so like dynamic and active. And even when they were talking, they were moving their hands, their hair was moving their clothes. Like, but here, no, it's mm -hmm. like they had one pose that they put each character in and it stayed that way every scene. And, and the, and the worst part, and the worst part of it is too. So in the animation, I don't know how much you know about just like the actual animation process itself. Mm -hmm. When you have the characters come to rest, they pause in what is called a key a keyframe right and that keyframe there is usually penned by the artist who like had does the best work right. when they're in motion and like they're moving from pose to pose pretty quickly each individual frame doesn't necessarily need to look perfect because you're not seeing it for a prolonged amount of time right. and plus the key artist who's bringing them to the pose and the art that they're shown in when they're at rest, they are supposed to stick very strictly to the model sheets. So I'm like, guys, how did you blow that? How did you not only <laughs> not stick to the model sheets where the characters look so bad? Oh yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, and again, it's not that they look terrible, objectively awful. It's it's that they it's a noticeable step down. Yeah, they're off yes, model. They don't look like themselves. Right. And yeah. it's like really, you know, and this would happen and, you know, just to be fair to Studio Perot, that happened a lot in Avatar, especially in the first two seasons, uh -huh. where we we would switch back and forth between two different animation companies and they had different styles. And so, you yeah. know, and it it showed. And but I mean honestly like a lot of just average people, they wouldn't notice that. But for someone like me, like I said, that's seen the show a million times, I can tell from episode to episode which studio worked on the animation because it looked different. I was like, these don't look like the yeah. same, you know, styles, um, which is fine. It's not, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it is a thing. And so, um, you know, it's, and it's fine. But <laughs> for Legend of Korra, which was so, the first season at least, um, which was very on model, pretty much 95% of the time, like, of course, you're going to have a couple frames that look off, but that's just normal. It's hand-drawn animation. But 95% right. of the time, the characters looked like the characters and they would move like the characters. It wasn't just looking. They actually, the poses, the movements, they all felt very distinct and different. Here, you could replace any one of the characters with another one and you would have no idea that it was a different character. Like, they all act yeah. and move the exact same. <laughs> Yeah, there was no like distinct body language, mm -hmm. you know, like there was for the other ones. Again, like you said, they're very wooden. They're kind of cardboard cutouty. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, there's something more that we're looking for. And when when you're used to looking for those visual cues as part of 
shall we even go so far as to say as part of a performance mm -hmm. because it's not a physical performance an actor is going to have a physical present presence they're going to move a certain way they're going to walk a certain way they're going to stand a certain way they're going to emote a certain way when they're speaking you're putting that into the animation you have to emulate it if all you do is take the voice actor's performance and you don't take any of the physicality of the character and put it into it they all again like you said any one of them could be anybody they're all just standing around with their hands in their pockets talking to each other unless they're in the middle of like a fight scene in right. which case they turn into like dragon ball z characters like <laughs> lunging 25 feet through the air in a somersault and getting like you know whipped through the air it's it's kind of crazy um yeah well thanks for yeah. thanks for the tea it's delicious yeah of course and just to be fair, because I always love to play devil's advocate before we actually get into the episode, which we will eventually, um, I just wanted to say in defense of Studio Perot that they do do some things well, even better than I think Studio Mir. The first being, and I'm sure that you might agree with this, and this is super important for me as an artist, is color. I love the color. I knew you were going to say this. I knew you were going <laughs> to yes. say that. Um, you know, and this isn't, again, a knock against Studio Mir, but the color palette of the first season was very muted, but it was supposed to be that way. You know, it's more of a noir type deal, which, so it fits that. But this color palette for this season is very lush, lots of deep blues and purples and whites. And like, I, I love how, how much richer the color palette is for this season. It just visually looks stunning um, color wise. And so that's one thing. I love the color that they do. And real quick, uh, legend, uh, I want to say Legend of, but Avatar <laughs> The Last Airbender was kind of the same way. Not that the first season had extremely muted color, um, but you know, just because of the settings they were in, there mm -hmm. were a lot of whites and blues of the water tribe. There was a lot of grays and reds whenever the presence of the, of the like a burning village mm -hmm. or the Fire Nation was around. And there wasn't a ton of variety, but it's mostly because they weren't in like a really really big variety of places right. in uh, avatar season two there's a lot of variety in color and we have lots of different locales that they're in that have different looks to them like it's very very different so you know i i kind of see a trend there in diversifying the color palette in the second season <laughs> right um and then second is that i think that when we kind of touched on this a little bit but when it's action scenes when we have fight scenes or you know just any kind of action i think that the animation gets a lot better it's a lot more dynamic and it moves very nicely it's very smooth but it just doesn't happen a lot in this first half of the season because it's all about political intrigue and like betrayals and things like that um mm -hmm. but i do think that when we do get fight scenes they're not as well done as the first season but I think that that is where the animation for Perot shines is in the movement and not in the talking scenes. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are the two things that I just wanted to, you know, play devil's advocate. Like they do do good things. It's just, again, you can't compete with Studio Mirror. They are just the goat. <laughs> well, one of the things about it, while I will give you, and this is me splitting hairs about it while i will give you that the animation is better when they're in motion one of the things that does bother me and this is just a really really teeny tiny thing a technical thing mm -hmm. is that the animation is not as fluid mm -hmm. and one of the reasons why it's not as fluid is they're doing what is called they're animating on 
they basically they're probably animating on threes instead of animating on twos. Now, mm-hmm. to be really technical for people who may be interested, um, animation is done with 24 frames of animation per second. That is what's called animating on ones. When you have the most fluid animation, like when you're watching a, a movie in a movie theater, it's 30 frames per second. You're seeing 30 frames of a of a of a movie for every one second you're watching it. It's technically 24, so slightly less for animation. You drop some frames and you do this stylistically to create a sort of different look to your animation you drop every other frame it's called animating on twos there's a lot of that done uh especially in anime um there's a lot of animating on twos where there's only actually 12 frames per second and so every frame that's presented it lasts twice as long to the eye but there's only 12 actual positions of a character taking place in the second Animating on threes means that, once again, instead of one per one, we're three for one. So in every second of animation, there's only eight drawings instead Mm -hmm. of 24. They're using a third of the drawings. Now, why would you do this? Well, you would actually do it to save labor. Time, money. Literally. (laughs) You're saving time and labor. Instead of paying people to make 24 or even 12 drawings for every every no second of your show and think about it for a 10 second fight sequence um uh, a fight scene a shot that would be you know 240 drawings if you were animating on ones ain't nobody got time for that so a lot of studios will they'll have you animate on twos for that action sequence that way everybody's just you're doing 120 frames but when you cut yourself down to 80 frames it starts to look a little choppy because every frame of the animation is lingering on the on for your eye that much longer. There's a lot of animating on threes. And while I get the reasons why, and there's lots of anime and lots of shows I've watched that do it perfectly well, you notice after a while that you're right. like, man, they really didn't put a lot. There's not a lot of drawings that went into this fight sequence. And you'll know it when characters seem to, when they're moving quickly, when like they're in frame and then they like crouch, like they're going to jump. And then the very next frame of animation, they're just gone. Mm-hmm. They're not like slowly moving out of the frame gradually. They're just instantly gone because in that part of a second, they just have to move. Right. It saves work, but it looks a little sloppy. And the stuff you learn when your brother is an animator. So <laughs> it's just my eye is so attuned to exactly. it after so much time, you know? <sighs> so right. I am glad. I'm relieved to hear that the animation, though, is only going to stay like this for seven episodes ever, forever. And then we go back. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no worries there. Um, so how do you want to tackle this? Because, like, my thought was, because there's not really a ton of story happening, This, especially in this first episode. It's more just, like, reintroducing ourselves to the characters and meeting new characters. So, like, do you just kind of want to do that? Like, go through each of the characters and what's going on with them? Um, well, why don't we do a little bit of scene setting first? Because, um, and then we'll dive in as we do kind of every season premiere and tackle the brand new characters. Um... First of all, uh, the as it stated at the very, very start of the, actually not even in the episode itself, I think, but just in like the recap, right. uh, it's been six months since Amon, since Amon has been defeated. Um, as you can see, nobody has grown or matured at all in six months. So <laughs> they're, all, 
all the same people they've always been. You ever meet somebody again who you knew years ago and you were like, man, this person, I don't know about being friends with them. And then like four years later, you bump into them. They're exactly the same as they were in high school. And you're right. just like, Yikes. all right, <laughs> we'll, just, we'll, we'll give them another four years to cook, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Nobody's really learned anything. You know, we're all about the same place we were. Mm-hmm. Um. I I admit that all things considered, as far as the plot itself, since again it's mostly set up, so I feel like we can kind of overview it pretty quickly. Um, I am glad for the introduction of new characters. Uh, I actually was really scared that they were going to introduce Boomy, uh, Tenzin's brother, as like a joke at the end of season one where, where <laughs> they showed him for like two seconds right. and they were just like look it's booby he's like this whooping wild man and the avatar right. fans were supposed to be like like oh look he acts like booby he's right. a wild he's man Hi, good joke and then, and, and then we never see him ever again it would be honestly hilarious like, i thought it would be great oh man but I am glad he's back. I don't know what they're going to do with him as a character because yeah, all he right now is just a foil to Tenzin to elbow him in the ribs. But like, uh, sure, okay. You know, he's he's there. He's saying stuff. He's doing stuff, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> he's a thing. He's a whole mood. Yeah, um, I lo- I do. Yeah, so, I do love the part where where he's like, no, 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 it's twenty four seven boomy time, and I'm like, man, I wish I could get some twenty four seven boomy time. If you know what I mean. <laughs> Lord, yeah, no. Um, I really like that we get introduced to Aang's other children this season because they were mentioned in the very first episode of season one. You know, when Katara is talking to Tenzin um, about. Kaya and Boomy, his siblings. And I was really glad that we got to meet both of them. And I really love the just like the sibling rivalry that's going on between the three of them. <laughs> like we we get definitely more into it um, as the season goes along. But like they still love each other, obviously. They're, you know, they're family, but there is a bit yeah. of like, you know, just the the younger brother, because Tenzin is technically the youngest, even though he looks the oldest. Um, which is I actually think very telling. Like having given, kids, having kids will do that to you. Yes, that and having the burden of being, you know, basically one of the last airbenders on the planet, like, you know, having to carry that responsibility and weight, like that will age you. So it makes sense. But um, yeah, but he is still the little brother to Kaya and Boomy, and I love that they're always making fun of him and jabbing him, and like you know, it's very cute and very relatable as someone with siblings. I mean, you have siblings too, so it's very, it's yep. very relatable. Yep, it's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm one hundred percent the Boomy in my family. I can tell you right now. <laughs> really? <laughs> yep, I'm, I'm definitely the Boomy. I'm the person who leans in and like rubs it in when something goes wrong and like punches <laughs> you in the arm. Like that's me. That's me. Oh goodness. Um, yep. So, yeah. So we just, we did just kind of jump into the. <laughs> did you wanna? Yeah, we say we'd right into it. Um, okay. I don't really know a whole lot about Kaya. They, I mean, they don't really. She's just kind of there, at least for now. Yeah. Um, I feel like Kaya is a character that she's not super complex. Like they don't get too deep into into her backstory or her as a character. Um, not as much as they do with Boomy, at least. 
but uh, she's still really cool. She's basically, since she grew up in a time of uh, no war of peace, she is not really a fighter. She's more of like a healer. You know, that's kind of where her, where her specialty lies is in healing, kind of like with Katara. Um, or not, not, but Katara taught her, not that Katara, you know, hers was fighting, like, because she grew up in a time of war. But <laughs> yeah, no. Yes, yes. <laughs> she was and a great as healer. As Katara could heal, Kaya can also heal. Right. Um, she just do- she just doesn't like murder people with blood bending <laughs> like Katara. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really love her design. Like, I just, I think that she's a really cool design. Both her and Boomy have very distinct looks mm-hmm. about them. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't, there's not really a ton to say about them so far because, like, we get more into them later in the season. But yeah, it's right. a it's a pretty good way to introduce them. You get immediately what their deals are and like their relationship to Tenzin and to their parents. So, um, so yeah, that's good stuff. I'm kind of I'm kind of sad that Mako is like just in like simp mode for these first two se- two episodes. <laughs> okay, so. Let's talk about Mako because <laughs> I just we I know don't you talk about to. Mako. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I understood no. that reference. Um, but so Mako at this point, it's been six months since, like you said, Amon was defeated, and Mako is now yeah. a cop. Like he's working for Beifong, uh, Chief Beifong, as a uh, he's a cop, part-time he... cop and a full-time simp. Okay, let's like get let's get it straight here. Okay, <laughs> don't get it don't get it twisted. Um, so, <laughs> but he wants to be a detective. Like that's that's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to be like a street cop. He wants to be an actual detective. So that's kind of his goal for the season. Um, mm-hmm. And while he's like busting triads in Republic City and all that, and shooting off one-liners which are terrible but it's kind of funny how bad they are um he literally writes them down um yeah he is like trying to be a good supportive boyfriend to Cora, who is dealing with her own stuff we'll get to her in a minute oh boy um but yeah and she is just beating him down at every turn and being a total bitch to him and he's being nothing but loving and supportive and it's kind of mm-hmm. sad. It's really sad to see. It is really sad. And again, this is why I've like I get it, but I personally am not a Mako hater. Like I hate some of the things that he does in the seasons, but yeah. like him as a character, honestly, especially in this season, I just feel kind of bad for him. I'm like, why? Why are they doing this to him? <laughs> like, what did he do? <laughs> um, I, I love Mako. I will go back on on record <laughs> that I love Mako. I, he has yet to do anything that makes me feel differently about him. I have forgiven everything so far. Hashtag Mako did nothing wrong. <laughs> uh, I I am going to stand by it until he does something truly egregious. I'm, I'm standing by it. Right. Um, yeah, but it, it is cool to see him. I, I do like the opening scene of him um, when he's basically chasing down some of the triple threat triads um, and just seeing him, you know, get to be a cool badass cop like i think that that's a cool idea for mako because he is so cool under pressure he is a very good firebender when they when they send you to jail tell them mako sent you (laughs) exactly um yeah terrible one-liners but uh yeah so that's that's where mako is bolin's just kind of here right now although he does get a very funny subplot in this season but as of right now there's nothing really to say about him he's just he's being a pro bender by himself and that's about it um moving on (laughs) 
And then Asami, she is trying to re um was like revamp her company after her dad's disgrace. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's trying to breathe up breathe a little life back into it. I mean, when you're <laughs> when, Yeah, she's really rebranding. I mean, when you're when your dad is is basically thrown in with a terrorist organization, it's kind of hard to restore, like get those stock get that stock right. option back on the market <laughs> valuable again. Yeah, I imagine I imagine the stock for her company fell down quite a bit. Um incidentally i for myself my favorite part of the episode was the whole sequence with them dealing with basically water nation water tribe elon musk over there yes okay i'm we gotta talk about ferrick oh my god i love love it he you know how (laughs) i I can't remember it was the last pocket episode or a later one but you remember how i said that amon was like my favorite legend of Korra character uh-huh. That was a lie. Varric, Ignick Blackstone Varric is my favorite character in Legend of Korra. By far. No, yes. The, the rank- <laughs> yes. No, I'm, I'm dead serious. The ranking is Varric, Amon, Korra, and then like everybody else. Like that that is the ranking. So and he is right up there with Zuko and Sokka, my two favorite characters from Avatar, and two of my favorite characters pretty much of all time as my favorite character overall in avatar he is a just godsend in this season oh my He's god jam he literally is the goat <laughs> like i if he if this season did not introduce varic i don't know that i would have kept watching honestly because it gets really rough in this first half or sorry in the later half of the season but because he was there mm. i was like okay well at least he's here like he is never not entertaining to watch <laughs> So, like, I love where he is like doing the whole meditation thing. He's like, I was a foot off the ground. And then as soon as Bolin just points it out, he's just like, What's that? Wasn't anybody going to tell me? Don't look like, an idiot. look like an idiot. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> I like yeah. you, pal. You're a straight shooter, just like me. <laughs> right. I just, oh my God. Everything about him. And it's so weird because the, the problems that we had with the animation for like the when they're in the talking scenes they don't apply to him he is so dynamically animated and it's crazy <laughs> it's like he's never stops moving I, I see where the animation budget goes in <laughs> this season it's entirely in the barrack all the barrack <laughs> um and i don't know i can't remember what the actor's name is but he's in everything um he's the guy from pitch perfect the announcer that was with um elizabeth banks what is his name oh my god <laughs> looking it up he is voiced by uh john michael higgins yes yes he is just mwah, perfection chef's kiss like every line is funny and i don't know how he does it like <laughs> i don't know if it's it can't be the writing because it's the same people writing everybody else but <laughs> it has to be the performance <laughs> like oh man it's gotta be but i mean like come on now sometimes you get that pet character that you're like let's put the (laughs) best stuff in for him everyone else they're just gonna hear like mako will give him one funny thing at the beginning where like oh he's writing his own 
catchphrases and Bolin will just kind of make him gener- generally cute but like mm-hmm. we're not going to put too much funny into him but Varric let, let's 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 pull out all the stops best animation for him best dialogue for him <laughs> yes right. the comedy gods were kind on Varric <laughs> yeah he's great I absolutely loved every scene that he was in yep he just is the best part of the entire well especially thing. because uh what's his name uh Unalak yeah. is that his name Unalak the northern the mm-hmm. northern grand yep. of the the the, the water <laughs> tribes northern yeah, tribe. yeah. <laughs> he gives that like really big heavy speech about like the spirits and everything and he's just like well Unalak, great to have you here i <laughs> anyway here's the dancing right. like and you they know, pull out the, the, the stage performance to lighten the mood back up again yes yeah and like you know what it reminds me of um or what he reminds me of he reminds me of howard stark from captain america the first avenger yeah he is the howard stark of this universe like if Sokka and howard stark had yeah. a kid this is who it would be <laughs> oh man oh my gosh yeah also real quick aside by the way i don't know if you noticed this you're wearing red plaid and i'm wearing blue plaid did you notice oh my god i did not even no it didn't register we're we're both wearing flannel today wow crazy um we 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 ought we ought we ought to make our like non-avatarized like picture of us for the covers (laughs) of the just be us each wearing flannel same pattern just different colors like that'd be great (laughs) inspired Um, just a great idea off the top of my head (laughs) totally um so yeah we kind of mentioned unlock so this character is introduced this is um cora's uncle who had never been mentioned before that she even had an uncle but it's all right um and is clearly evil (laughs) yes um this is our uh big bad of the season and giving off severe scar vibes the evil uncle that wants to overthrow and like <laughs> yeah I... if it couldn't be more obvious right from the start he's the <laughs> he's the not met before uncle of her father her father has literally the bufasa jawline <laughs> right. and the like back away from my daughter like overly pers- overly you know protective big mm-hmm. manly vibes and then we have like the the slender guy with the with the long angular jaw mm-hmm. and the you know he's smooth with his words <laughs> yeah silky voice and we have like immediately the first two seconds like well he is evil i, I don't know <laughs> right. what they were thinking they were playing it close to the vest but they're not yeah um i don't it's weird because i'm like on the one hand, just knowing how this goes, I'm like, why not just go all out? Like, don't try to make it like, oh, well, maybe he's actually a good guy. Like, you should have just made him so incredibly blatantly evil from the get-go. Like, <laughs> he should have had, like, an evil well, henchman with him. Well, especially because Unalak's entire story is so... <laughs> I'm sorry, this part I actually laughed at, though, multiple times. It's so incredibly paper-thin. Mm. it's so paper thin he's like hey guys look evil spirits are attacking people and like yeah sure undebatably like the ghostbusters need to be called in but (laughs) his solution is we must take the avatar to the south pole okay why so she can open a portal a portal (laughs) 
Yes, and after she opens a portal to the spirit world, balance will be restored. And like, will it though? <laughs> will it though? <laughs> yes. It's just like someone needs to ask just one essential question to him, which is why? Just why? Why? <laughs> why? why are they unhappy? Why do they have to open a portal? And why is balance going to be restored? But nobody asks him. Nobody the entire time thinks to ask, hey, how does this whole portal bringing balance thing actually work? Just I, so we know. We know we're only opening a portal to hell in the South Pole. It'd be kind of nice if we knew, like, is there any liabilities involved, any zoning issues, any or, spirits that might not be all cool with this? Or even just ask, obviously, the human world and the spirit would have been separated for, you know, generations. And maybe there's a reason for that. Like, why would you think now would be the time to do this? Like. Maybe there's a reason that they were separated and maybe they're meant to be separated because humans and spirits are different. Like <laughs> that's racist. And especially because, and especially if it wasn't obvious at all, he like does all, but at the end of the episode, pat Cora on the shoulder and be like, we'll be watching your career with great interest. <laughs> yes. That's yes. for you, young avatar. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, um, not very subtle at all. Whilst trying to be subtle, but I'm like, you're nope. not fooling anybody. Like, we know this guy's evil. And he's got two creepy twins that I love, Eska and Desna. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know what to make of them yet. They're very funny, and I like the part where she says to Bolin, where she's like, I think I'll keep you, or I'll make you mine, or something. And he goes, right. as a boyfriend, or as a slave? And she yes. goes, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's it's Aubrey Plaza, if you didn't catch that, um, voicing Eska. Um, and, uh, yeah. It's, I didn't, but that's yeah. great. <laughs> the, the flat monotone. Um, yes, they are very funny, and they get their own little side story as the season goes along, um, her and Bolin, Eska and Bolin. Um, and it's a hot take. I think it's really funny. Like, I won't go into it too much, but, like, it's a very debated thing, like a very debated side story. I personally think the way they did it was funny, but I get why people are like, no, this is not okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so lots of new characters introduced. And then we have characters that... Wait, hold on. Wait, stop. Wait, stop. Pump the brakes for a second. <laughs> what? What is it about it that's not okay? Well, so kind of the joke of the season between the two of them is that Eska is very interested in Bolin in her own demonic, creepy way. And Bolin is like, that's great. I'm not though. And so they kind of are in this abusive relationship <laughs> where like the power dynamic is completely shifted towards Eska and Bolin's like this poor guy that's just being abused by her. Um, and so when I say it like that, yeah, it's pretty bad, but I think that the way that they do it, they do it for com for comedy, like, you know, comedically. And I think yeah. it's funny the way that they do it. But I, again, I understand that some people be like, this is not okay. And I'm like, obviously it's not okay. I mean, like, my, my, my radar for this stuff is pretty, is pretty good. We'll see how it, we'll see how it goes. We'll see yeah. how it is. I haven't noticed anything particularly particularly offensive so far but you know what we'll we'll be watching it You'll, you're talking to somebody who couldn't even couldn't even get like halfway through the notebook without being like no this is a very toxic relationship and i'm right. not enjoying this movie from this point forward like i could 
I was angry the entire movie after that because I'm like, yeah. this is toxic and I don't like it. I can't root for these characters. I don't want them to be together. What do you want? It's not that simple. <laughs> With that being said, complete aside, I am so excited. I'm not a Ryan Gosling fan at all. Like, I don't find him attractive. I don't particularly find him to be a great actor. But I'm so excited to see him as Ken in the new Barbie movie. He looks like he's going to kill it. He looks hilarious. I that's the hot that's the real hot take about Ryan Gosling. I don't think he's a good dramatic actor. I think he's a great comedic actor. Like he's actually really funny. And I think that's when he's at his best. When he was doing his SNL sketches and now this Ken character, I think he's hilarious. He should just stick to doing comedies from now on. <laughs> no more notebook, no well, more forget, serious stuff, just well, comedy. Well, speaking speaking of another another Ryan who who uh, almost got completely, you know, railroaded into purely dramatic work as the hot heartthrob, Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing some very early stuff of him where he's like not funny at all. And he's just like, uh-huh. oh, okay. Here's like a cookie cutter, good looking guy. <laughs> right. But like, as soon as they let his sense of humor out, now that's what he's known for. That's like literally mm-hmm. who he is as much as any comedian presence on the screen, like Adam Sandler or Jim Carrey or anybody like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just all Ryan should be comedians, not dramatic actors. <laughs> Is what we're trying you know to what it, we, it that really might be we might need to take stock of how many ryan's we have out there and just be like guys just go into comedy it's fine if your name is ryan you're probably funny so right. good looking and funny um also uh, love the three degrees the six degrees of separation here that were like abusive relationship in cora abusive relationship in the notebook ryan gosling in the notebook Barbie. ryan gosling and ryan reynolds yeah, and speaking of funny and good-looking guys like Ryan Reynolds, boy, I miss Sokka. Um, and that brings <laughs> no. us full circle. I miss him too, my boy. Like, Zuko's the one that you want to take home, but Sokka's the one you want to marry. Like, I, oh my god. No, 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 no. Zuko's the one that you want sneak to sneak in through your bedroom window. Sokka's <laughs> right. the one you take him through the front door to meet your parents. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the best kind, like the two flavors. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes the two flavors of men the best kinds um anyway but <laughs> that was a whole ass detour um yeah i mean so... this whole season is a detour <laughs> like come on let's just be honest there's no detour we could take harder than the swerve they did in course season two that's actually a good segue to what i wanted to talk about in that it, this really just just does show that the first season is its own thing because there is so little tying this second season and beyond to the first season that it's kind of ridiculous. You would think that, you know, the effects of the Equalist and Amon would like, you know, jing or um, what is it? That they would kind of, they would... What is the word? They sort of resonate. They would kind yeah, of echo. They would throughout echo the world. throughout the rest of the seasons because, like you know, that was a pretty big thing that they went through. It was basically a war um, for Republic City. Cora got her bending taken away, and like none of this matters because we've moved on. <laughs> Which is just there's so much you could have done like, with that. I feel I feel like Mike Wazowski is standing in the ice cave. I'm just like and and Republic the war in Republic City. Doesn't that matter? And Cora, Cora got her bending taken away. Doesn't that matter? What about me? Don't I matter? Exactly. It's like season one. 
Like, <laughs> you should have won there. <laughs> apparently not, um, which is sad because I think that if they did do that, if they did have the effects of the Equalist Amon ripple through the rest of the seasons, it could have been really interesting and you know really just like profound. But no, we're we're completely moved on. Everything's fine. They they've elected a new Ooh. president, and we're all good. Also, wait a second. Who's like president <laughs> of what are they president of? The world? Is no, this no, no, president no. business from the Lego movie? <laughs> yes. Hi, hi, I'm I'm president of Republic City and the world. Exactly. Yeah, no, they're they are just the president of Republic City. Um and they I don't think that they said it in the uh in the intro or whatever, but President Raiko is a non-bender. So that was supposed to be, again, a big thing that like, oh, a non-bender is elected, you know, to represent a city full of non-benders. And like, originally it was only benders that were running the city. So, but they didn't even mention it. So I'm like, what? <laughs> that could have been something that, you know, that, that could have been a residual thing from season one, but no, just whatever. Um <laughs> So I'm, I'm telling you again, they should have br- they should have brought back Amon. I'm gonna keep saying every episode from here on through all mm-hmm. season two, but they should have brought back Amon. They should have had him survive because like the whole like dark, like breaking bad level brothers murder suicide of him <laughs> at the end of season one, like the man's a bloodbender. He should have been able to like Anakin Skywalker <laughs> his way out of it with just like his head and a, and like one good arm, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, uh, I agree. And maybe if he had come back this season, like later in the season, he could have taken Amon, or not Amon, um, he could have taken Unalak's bending and prevented all this from happening, but no. <laughs> uh, exa- exactly, exactly. Disappointed! <laughs> no. But anyway, we're, we're focusing on season two now, so we'll, that's whatever. Are we? Do we have to? <laughs> Do we have to? Yeah. Basically, the whole point of this first episode is that spirits are unruly, um, and they're leaking into the real world from the spirit world, and no one can seem to control them except for Unalak using some special spirit water bending. And so, in the middle of the night, Korra gets woken up by a by a spirit that's you know crept into the real world, and it's angry. It's a violent spirit, and there's a pretty cool, decent fight scene with them trying to contain it, but of course they can't. Them being Korra, Mako, Bolin, Tenzin, and Korra's dad, uh, yep. Tonrock. Um, and none of them can control it except for Unalak, who comes to the rescue. And again, this shot is actually really beautifully animated when he's using the spirit water bending. Yep. And it's like nice and slow and fluid. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is I can see glimpses yeah, of good so animation. <laughs> I, I'm I'm just gonna refer to his bending as ecto bending. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so in Ghostbusters in Ghostbusters, uh the ghost material is ectoplasm. Oh gotcha, gotcha. It's been a minute so since I've seen Ghostbusters. Just, yeah, and it's and it's liquid, so he's just ecto bending. There you go. Um, e- ecto bending, copyright twenty twenty three ecto bending. <laughs> Anytime anybody oh. says it, I get five cents. <laughs> yes. Um, and so because Unalak is the only one that's able to control the unruly spirits, um, Korra decides that she's had enough of Tenzin and her dad, and she's just being a total bitch to both of them, and she decides she wants to cut off her training with Tenzin early and go with Unalak to learn how to spirit bend, basically. Um, so yeah, this right here. You make it sound like you, you make it sound like Unalak is like her hippie uncle who's just like he pulls up in his Volkswagen van and there's just like a 
purple haze that just moves out of the door. He's like, hey, man, you must be Cora, man. Hey, you want to go on like a spiritual journey and do some bending down? We can drive to like the South Pole, man. (laughs) That's basically what happened. (laughs) Um, But uh, smoking that seaweed. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) right um but uh yeah and so this is where i get help when you can get kelp (laughs) exactly and this is where i feel they i mean they do a lot of characters almost all the characters dirty this season um but none more so than cora in my opinion because like i said i love cora i love her so much but god she is insufferable this season (laughs) at least for the first half she does get better thank god by the second half i'm I'm going to have some stuff to say about it in the next episode, by the way, myself. I I, I might monologue for just a bit. (laughs) You got me monologuing. I'm not one to monologue. No, never. Never. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we will discuss Cora and her uh, attitude problem in the next uh, part of the episode. But, yeah, so she decides to leave Tenzin and go with Unalak to learn spirit bending, and that's kind of where our episode ends. So, unless you have anything else to say, because we've been going on for so long <laughs> about nothing. Well, there's, oh, no, 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 we had a great, like, tea party at the beginning <laughs> of the episode. We were like, yeah, no, we did good. Um, but yeah, 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 the, the uh, man, it's hard to rate this stuff, because, like, I feel like I'm being so brutal, but to be perfectly honest with you, um... This episode was not as bad as I thought it was going to be, weird mm-hmm. as it is to say. Um, but I really think it was mostly due to A, uh, Varric, and mm-hmm. B, again, good fight sequence. Um, yeah. I like I like that the second season is taking off, hitting the ground running. There's no mucking about with character building stuff and just like, oh, I'm not really sure what the season's going to be about. They're not vague about it evil mm-hmm. uncle shows up it's scar he's leading them down to the south pole to do his evil bidding for him really really cut and dried and at least we know so like you know there's no question marks about it um so overall i gotta say i'd probably give this mm-hmm. episode i don't know being as charitable as possible probably like a 7.2 out of 10 it's hard to do things wrong and get yourself a low rating when there's just not a lot happening other than setup. it's fair um i think i mean i pretty much agree with everything you just said but i actually would go a little lower just because like i know what's coming um and i would say that this is <laughs> probably this is not the worst episode of the season by by any means but um it's definitely not the best like it's not my favorite so i would probably give it a seven out of ten like a solid seven out of ten i do like the fight scene um with the rebel spirit and i love love i cannot stress how much i love Varric. <laughs> like he is the best character <laughs> in the entire show um but uh yeah so like having a whole sequence dedicated to him to introducing him and that fight scene i think makes the episode um you know it is it's a good those those parts are good so i would definitely give it a seven out of ten personally okay sounds good well then that takes us to uh episode two the southern lights now this episode brings back a writer that we are also very familiar with it is written by joshua hamilton 
mm-hmm. and Joshua Hamilton, we know from uh, once again a bunch of of Avatar: The Last Airbender episodes. He, especially for me, very notably uh, wrote mm-hmm. the Painted Lady. He wrote mm-hmm. uh, part two of the Boiling Rock two parter, and he mm-hmm. also wrote the Chase. I mean, that's just to name a few. He's done right. a bunch of other ones, and yeah. so it's you know it's it's great to see him. He places a really good he tends to target a character and then dig into them with the writing and make sure he's like uncovering a bit about them um Mm -hmm. he also tends to have those like opening up moments which we'll talk about in a little bit um where it comes to like Cora's father for example Mm-hmm. You know, he just likes to have those moments where people kind of sit down and go, oh, well, let me bear my heart for a moment. It's like, oh, <laughs> right. okay, damn, sure. Josh Hamilton writing right there. So, uh, again, very, very good. Uh, and it's directed by Ian Graham, who, again, not sure if we've seen this person at all before directing any Avatar stuff. I feel like we have seen this name before, but I cannot for the life of me think off the top of my head which episodes. If he did, he did. <laughs> <laughs> if well, we're directing. about to, we're about to fact check, and no, there is no Ian Graham that did any direction work on Avatar. So hmm, maybe brand I was new think- Cora. I was about to say maybe I was thinking of this show then, because um, I know I've yeah. seen his naming the credits before for Cora, so maybe I was just getting it confused. But uh, yeah, so uh, hi Ian, <laughs> welcome to Cora. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just like we did with the the writers and directors for Avatar, uh, again, it's always exciting to see somebody new because even then we've had people uh, direct an episode and we're like, wow, that episode wasn't that great, and then two episodes later they do another one and it's amazing. So. Mm-hmm. So, again, nothing good or bad about the writing and direction. It's just interesting to watch for a trend of a director and what they bring to the show. So, oh, yeah. Uh, the episode's animated by Studio Pro again. Uh, the episode <laughs> aired on September 13th, 2013, and the IMDb... Yeah, so back to back. Yes, I was just about to say, I, I just yeah. noticed that, that the dates were the same. Uh, and the IMDb rating for the Southern Lights is a passable 7.5 <laughs> out of 10. Yep. Take us away with those fun facts, Amanda. All right. Um, so for our first fun fact, Mila running into a rock while riding an air scooter is similar to the manner in which Aang collided with a statue in the opening sequence for Avatar The Last Airbender. I did notice that this time around. <laughs> I did it for some reason the previous time. <laughs> this is such an uh, this is such an eye opening like viewing of the show for you. I think there's been at least three times so far, not including this time, where you've been like, and I don't know why it took me until just this most recent viewing to notice this. So mm-hmm. you see, when we step in for the podcast, even a seasoned fan like Amanda can just have this like you know this wow this what 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 do they call it like the aha moment? Right, mind blown. Um, our second fun fact is that this is the first episode that Asami does not appear in since her introduction in The Voice in the Night, which was the fourth episode of season one. Um, and honestly, I didn't even notice. That's so bad. <laughs> like That is bad. I just thought, that, like, I didn't even miss her. I know. It's so, I swear, they do her so dirty these first two seasons. She does get better, I promise. Um, but, but you uh, know who wasn't in the episode and I did miss them? Who? Very. <laughs> Zuko. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> of course. 
Yeah, well, you know, Zuko just needs to be in every episode of everything ever, not even Avatar related, just everything. Agreed. Agreed. Um, it's but yes, that is really, really bad. I honestly didn't even notice that she wasn't with the gang because everybody else is there. Why is she not? (laughs) Makes no sense. Um, anyway, uh, the the third and final fun fact is that Foley artists Aaron Tanchum and Vincent Gussetti, cool name, uh, used artificial snow and cornstarch to simulate the various sounds associated with the Everstorm. And the Everstorm is a giant blizzard, basically. So, you know, those crunching sounds of the snow, which are just so aesthetic, such ASMR. I love it. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so I, cool. I love fo- uh, I was gonna say Foley. Foley, that's like it's such an underrated part of filmmaking, but it, anytime I've worked on a project, you know, my short films, that's been like one of my favorite production parts is just creating the sound effects for whatever we need. And mm-hmm. I just, I love that we, that they, you know, focused on these Foley artists um, and, you know, creating the sounds of snow because I love the crunch of snow. Um, but uh, yeah. So anyway, that is. You're making me miss winter and it's springtime. What are you doing? Just like ah, <laughs> oh oh, the crunch God. of snow, and I'm like, I want snow. Right. Real quick. Um, speaking of weather, it's. I live in Florida, and uh, Todd lives in Chicago. <laughs> it's not a state. Todd lives in Illinois, and uh, no one knows where Illinois is, but everyone knows where Chicago is. So you might as well exactly. just say Chicago. I live in the state of Chicago, the state of emergency. <laughs> right. Um, and today, all this week, it's like in the 60s. It's April in Florida, and it's in the 60s. It was amazing today. It didn't even rain, but it I can, was just so I, cloudy. I, I, can, I can beat that. While it's the 60s for you, it's also uh-huh. the 60s here. What? That's so weird. Checkmate. Explain uh, that. Exactly. Congratulations. You played yourself. checkmate meteorologists exactly (laughs) um so yeah anyway moving on to the actual episode so (laughs) so so i'm convinced that uh um unalog just made up this whole everstorm thing just gonna come out right (laughs) out and say that just coming out the gate swinging here i think he just made it up (laughs) yeah well i well the best part is (laughs) here's the best part of it because if they're like, oh, look, the spirits are angry. When the spirits are angry, they're part of the Everstorm. Like, well, this is supposed to be a relatively recent uh, thing where mm-hmm. they're angry. If they're angry only recently, why is there a storm called the Everstorm? Why isn't it called like the recent storm or the like sometimes storm? <laughs> <A> spirit storm. <laughs> or, or the lately storm. Like it's <laughs> it hasn't been forever <laughs> that it's been around, you know? Oh, you with your pedantic nitpicking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I really do feel like he pulled it out of his ear. And then it, it's just like, yeah, they're part of the Everstorm. <laughs> Sounds threatening, doesn't it? Oh, like, so no one questions this man at all. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's not good. Um, so, yeah, the whole, like point of this episode is that Unalak has taken Korra and the gang, except for Asami, um, <laughs> up to the... Um, and Zuko. Yeah, right. Is it... It is the South Pole, right? That they that they go to? Yep. Or is it... Yeah, okay. Yep. Um, so they go to the South Pole, and they, they're trying to open this portal to the spirit world, which is a new thing introduced to Avatar, because we knew 
that there were spiritual places in the North and South Pole, you know, like the um, where Aang went to go and meditate with the the moon, the, blech, the moon and the ocean spirits, like that was a spiritual place. Um, but there was never any mention of portals to the spirit world in the North and South Pole. So this is completely new to Avatar. Um, and they have been blocked off by, you know, somebody or something. So global Cor warming, <laughs> right? Uh, has blocked them off. And so Korra has to go and open them as the avatar. She's like basically the only one that can do it. And so, yeah, that's basically the story. And we get, you know, a bunch of flashbacks explaining, you know, why the spirits are angry and why the, you know, why what's happening is happening. And so. Well, well, yeah. And like, okay. So the flashback was honestly, in my opinion, one of the best parts of the episode. I don't mean like the best, mm -hmm. like shot. Because admittedly, the shot of Korra actually opening the portal is, like, one of my favorite shots. Mm -hmm. Like, both her in the cave all intertwined with the stuff all wrapped around her, like, touching right. the thing. Beautiful. Amazing. And also the shot of, like, the beam of light coming up into the sky, mm -hmm. casting the southern lights around. Again, breathtaking. But I think my favorite sequence of the thing was the flashback. Because I felt like it really returned back to a root of, of Avatar, which is we've razzed the show a little bit when they get really, really heavy on the like anti-industry theme. Mm -hmm. Factory <laughs> bad, polluted environment, just right. must destroy and put tens of thousands of people out of work. Like, <laughs> like you know, let's blow up a factory. Yeah, that'll help everybody. Um, mm -hmm. But but the show returned to what I feel like is a more classic and purest form of its roots, which is respect for the environment in so much as when you're coming into a place that's sacred, when you're in a place that's natural, you're looking at the way careless destruction is going to affect the environment. Mm -hmm. And that can be taken in the broadest sense. It's reckless deforestation. It's certainly war. And in this it's the case, the forest is collateral damage. It's mm -hmm. pollution. But like in this case, it's not so much uh, commercialized or politicized. It's personal. This right. is a personal war. They fled into a sacred forest and the guy's like, yeah, you know what? Forget your sacred forest and just destroyed the place and uh, made the spirits real mad. They mm -hmm. were real cranky after that. So lesson learned. When there's a big hanging sign that says sacred forest, do not flood. <laughs> right. Don't do it. Don't even go near it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or else you know what happens to you? Chorus season two happens to you. And you don't want that. <laughs> you don't want it you don't want any of this well it's funny because you know exactly what you were describing of it getting back to the roots of avatar and just you know how there were certainly episodes that would focus on you know the destruction of sacred places or environments and all that and the one that immediately there were plenty of them like you mentioned the uh I was gonna say the pink lady what <laughs> the painted lady there we go <laughs> this is suddenly uh -huh. grease um <laughs> danny zuko oh my god that's a new show that's coming out too <laughs> the pink ladies really oh my god I did not yeah um wow but... shameless plug for the show way to go amanda right um we we absolutely we absolutely do not do shameless plugs 
for this. We absolutely don't. Plus, you can watch Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies on Paramount Plus. Sponsor us, Paramount. <laughs> Which also has Avatar on it. Um, but, uh, yes, it all comes together. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah. So, uh, wow, I completely lost my train of thought. Uh, episodes <laughs> of Avatar. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. So you mentioned the painted lady, but the one that came to my mind was actually one of our least favorites, um, which was the. Oh god! Now I'm forgetting what it was called. Oh my god! The one with Haybai destroying the towns. Um, the I think it's the solstice. Yeah. The the winter solstice oh, part yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so the first episode of the Winter Solstice two-parter um, has Aang, like the opening scene is Aang coming across a giant forest that has been burned by the Fire Nation. And there's like no animals around, there's no trees, they've all been burned down. And that causes Haybai, the spirit, you know, the panda spirit, to go haywire mm -hmm. and start destroying a nearby town. And so it's very similar. Like you can feel the echoes of, you know, that in... Yeah you know, especially this season with, you know, the spirits being very upset about all that's happening in the world. Um, and so just like the fans. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So I just, I love seeing those parallels, even though to, it's to an episode that I don't particularly care for. Um, yeah. But yeah. So we get to see, you know, this gang kind of magnificent sevening <laughs> going out and uh, to this Everstorm, and, uh, Korra's dad, Tonra, kind of tags along against Korra's wishes um, because she just wants to go on her own with Unalak and not be distracted by her dad or Tenzin or anybody. Um, and but he goes anyway, and we find out more about his history, um, not just his history, but his history with his brother and the spirits. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, you want to kind of you want to kind of give your thoughts on the backstory since you mentioned it. Yeah, again, like I said, it was actually the sequence that had me engaged the most because because the entire premise of their quest, as I said, is so paper thin at this point. I was very kind of uninvested in it because I'm like, oh yeah, he's duping them. Their mm -hmm. whole reason for going there isn't even the real reason. So I'm just like, okay, guys, come on and get there and just do the thing so we can actually get to like what the plot actually has in store. So I was actually kind of impatient. Mm -hmm. But when that sequence happened, I'm like, okay, this is like hard fact now. Now we have somebody with a history. We have somebody who has done something wrong. This is not fiction. This is not... Mm -hmm. You know, this is not some ruse. This is an actual story we can invest in. And it's not even like he's a stranger or an incidental character. This is Cora's father, for crying out loud, you mm -hmm. know, who did this thing. And and I like, one thing I am liking, and I'm going to jump in. There's a couple of things I'm actually really liking about the season, the way these first two episodes are setting it up anyway. Sure, mm -hmm. they're going to do characters dirty, and sure, you know, Cora's and absolute jerk mm -hmm. but but what i do like is two main things number one um we're making it more personal mm -hmm. we're the, the the what's being involved is her her father and her uncle and it's a familial tie and right. this harks more back to um to zuko's story in mm -hmm. uh avatar the last airbender where the 
key players in the conflicts of his life are his sister and his father and his uncle. And, you know, in, in a way, we're sort of taking Korra out of the Aang role. And in a way, we're almost sort of superimposing her into almost, almost, we're going to see the way it develops, but like mm-hmm. almost a Zuko-like situation uncle instead of being the good guiding spirit in her life is the deceptive and manipulative spirit her Mm -hmm. father is you know she's estranged from him not dramatically so but she's rebelling out from under him now she has a bad impression of him and even while she is in there like finds the portal and gets into it he's like riding away on like his which by the way i didn't recall why in the world he was right driving away i was so confused by that (laughs) he was like speeding away on his snow mobile and i'm like dude where are you going did something just happen that you're leaving that i missed yeah i remember cora was like dad you have to go i have to do this on my own like she's just she basically told him to fuck off <laughs> oh so he didn't even hang around with the rest of them he's like guess i'll snowmobile away to another 200 miles back the way i came basically um i, I love also how their snowmobiles don't need gas just throwing that out there real quick on a snowmobile down to the South Pole? Sure, no problem. Oh my god. We don't need gas. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> I just found it funny that he's just snowmobiling away. It's like somebody getting on a, a jet ski and like being like, fine, guess I'll go back to Europe and just jet skis across the Atlantic Ocean. Goodbye. Right. Goodbye. Um, yeah, so... Uh, but it is but it is way it is it is way more personal it is way more personal and i like that a lot about it um and the second thing i really really like about the season and so i spoke in my workplace recently uh to somebody who i was talking about the podcast with him and he said something which was very valid i thought as a complaint about legend of course season one which is they Mm -hmm. don't go anywhere in Avatar the List Airbender, they're constantly going places. The longest they ever stayed anywhere was like Bossing Say because they were right. there for like six episodes or whatever. But he's like, they were always traveling. There were new locations and all of season one of Legend of Korra, which is all he watched. He actually quit mm-hmm. watching the show after the finale. <laughs> Wonder why. Um was they didn't go anywhere everything took place in republic city and if you didn't love republic city then the entire time they were there the whole season you were just like oh my gosh i can't believe they're in this like stupid steampunk town like (laughs) there wasn't a variety of locales and i like that they're traveling out away from civilized areas out on the lamb encountering strange beasts and weird environmental dangers like the good old team avatar used to yeah and that actually, that is a valid complaint. It's not one that I ever had personally, just because, like, I like Republic City. I like that it's different from, you know, the the constant traveling that we did in Avatar, just kind of being s- not stuck. That makes it sound bad, but just, like, being rooted in, yeah, rooted in one location that we get to really know. Um, but, uh, but, yes, going forward from season two, three, and four, we do get a lot more traveling, like the classic Avatar, Um and I don't know if that was necessarily because fans were complaining that they wanted to see more of the world and like they didn't want to just stay in Republic City or if that was just how it happened that they just were like, well, hey, let's, you know, let's go out, let's explore and all that. But well, we do do if, that. If I the- had to venture a guess, I would probably say it's just the nature of the beast that 
in season one they couldn't do that much exploring how much of the world how much world building beyond republic city are you going to do in 12 episodes you're just Mm -hmm. not going to when it gets renewed for a season two now you can be like okay you know what we did plenty of establishment of one key new location to the world at this point now we can go we can go run around in the world of avatar visit new places revisit old places we can we can do a little bit more you know peripheral world building now so you know fair is fair yeah and i do like that about this season um especially because i just love the aesthetic of the water tribe like as we all know i am a waterbender so like i i love the blues i love the fur i love the water the ice everything so um i do like that we get to spend a lot of time you know here this season but um but yeah so uh i'm trying to think you were going to talk about Cora and stuff oh, yes, that you had yes, a major yes. problem with her personality in this because she still continues to be a jerk to Mako and Mako continues simping. <laughs> Mako, grow a spine. Have some respect for yourself. I know. Yeah, it's it's bad. Honestly, like, yeah, she's really bad to Mako and he doesn't deserve that. Like, I'm not but She's also that. a jerk to Tenzin, too. She's a jerk to everybody. And I'm just like, and the one person that she should not ever trust is the one that she's putting all of her like faith and trust in and i'm just like you're so stupid this season cora why um this man that you probably have met maybe once in your life because like we've gotten like maybe at like a family reunion when you were five you met him and it's like one of those weird like yeah you're technically my uncle but i've only met you like once or twice um like <laughs> they live in completely opposite sides of the world um and so, yeah, this man that you barely know, like you're you're picking him over your mentor Tenzin and your fucking father. <laughs> like, excuse me. Oh, it's so bad. And all they want is like all that Tenzin and Tonrock, Cora's dad, want for her is what's best for her and to keep her safe and all that. And that's actually something that I can't remember if it was this episode or the last episode, but that's something that was revealed is that oh yeah Aang, it was, uh yeah le- this le- the last episode yeah the ang wasn't actually ang's wishes for them to train her in seclusion it was them deciding that was, that was the best her. way to do it to try to shield her right and i am not a huge fan of that honestly i feel it would have been better if it was ang um just from a story standpoint i do not like it when parents of like supernatural children or people or children with powers like shield them away hide them away from the world and to protect them it's frozen all over again i hate that shit um it's not Mm -hmm. as bad it's not as bad here as it is in frozen because like that actually was really bad like that was the worst thing they could have done for elsa but here in cora it makes sense to keep her you know to train her to keep her in seclusion until she had fully master the elements and then let her out into the world like that that does make sense given where we are in this timeline well well here's the worst thing about it too and i mean i mean i want to even want to address it i want to address it in world so it doesn't come off like a gripe against the writers mm-hmm. guys why why protect her because there's no threat to her right. they're not at war the fire nation isn't a threat it's not like she's being born into like 
Order 66 where like a mom is out there killing benders and they have to hide her like Moses God, in the basket from Pharaoh like <laughs> that been so okay, cool. okay, no, come, come on now reworking of reworking of the script how about that she where she was born in the avatar and they kept her secluded and she went to go out into the larger world and finds out that benders are hated and that's the reason why she's being raised in this secluded basically monastery compound in the water tribe is that the world hates benders because a man is out there spreading this horrible message and he's out there like just subverting society against mm -hmm. them and making it impossible for the avatar to survive but like they didn't do that but like <laughs> the whole thing the whole thing would have been such a good setup but there's no reason for them to do it okay and here's here's the thing and i need to kind of jump on a soapbox <laughs> about this because like i don't like this trend this is like my first actual legitimate like there's tons of things i'll make fun about the show i'll be like yeah the animation's kind of crummy in season two yeah you know the love triangle stuff is kind of toxic yeah this person's <laughs> right. a jerk yeah they should have killed the platinum you know mechs with with electricity yeah, like I'll I'll grind my gears about all kinds of things, but this I generally genuinely seriously dislike, and I'm waiting for something in the show to remedy it. And that is, and it's gonna sound really funny coming from me of all people, like between me and you, that I'm the one pointing this out. But the show is kind of putting out some misogynistic vibes here. Here is why I'm throwing it out here like this. Because Cora, as we talked about at the season two finale, she kind of in hindsight in season one had like no agency. Mm -hmm. Most of the things in the show, and this is a, the, now I'm going to shift a little bit off of the big like M word to throw at the show at this point and get into a bit of a writing, reiterate my writing critique, which is that it's, it's hard to feel like your character's uh victories are earned we talked about like the, the very very end of season one her just kind of getting hit over the head you know whoosh you have the avatar state mm -hmm. you know it's very unearned because most of the things in the show happen to her mm -hmm. saying it again loud and clear most of the things in season one happen to her they don't happen as a result of her choices even when she takes initiative like when she goes and gets angry enough to challenge Amon, she is punished for it and the events of the show push her back down into the dirt as if to almost say no cora don't you dare make decisions just let the plot happen to you and that's basically what happens <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that's basically what happens the entire rest of season one come on name for me one choice that she does in all of season one that amounts to any actual forward plot progression character building or forward movement against the enemy any decision she makes i was gonna say uh go basically uh challenging tarlock and going up against him but that ends up with her being put in a metal box <laughs> okay thank you exactly everything she does and this is what i mean about the whole like serialized like downward spiral mm -hmm. of things it's very dramatic but you wind up they did the same thing in uh loki the marvel show loki i had a lot of criticisms about the show love the show love the character love the plot love the writing great script great setting but the main character everything happened to him mm -hmm. and every time he did something he just got thrown into the dirt for it either for dramatic and emotional impact or for comedy mm -hmm. but in the end when the whole season was done we're like what did he do 
he just kind of rode along as the show happened to him and that's right. exactly what happened to Cora. And now here she is, and now in two episodes, I wrote this down at the end of it, because by the end of episode two, I was actually a little bit mad about this. <laughs> so I guess the moral of the story so far in season two is dangling affirmation in front of people with low self-esteem makes them obey you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... Cora's victimized in season one. She's victimized so far in season two. Like, when does she actually do something for herself that she isn't punished for? When is the show going to reward the female lead for taking initiative instead of slapping her on the wrist constantly? Up, <laughs> oh, should have listened to your two boys who are watching out for you. Should have listened to your father figure, Tenzin. Up, oh, should have listened to the smart man, the smart older man who's watching out for you. It, it just sends a weird vibe of her being punished for being herself. All of her independence is this toxic aggression, and every time she has to learn a lesson, she she's apologizing to a man. It's kind of weird. Hmm. I'm <laughs> I'm very curious to see how that totally valid reading changes as we go on through the seasons. Because yes, what you're saying is totally true. Um, I, I can only deal with what I have so far, so right. I hope it will change, but I'm kind of cringing watching how long it's going on for. Yeah, see, I, I don't know. Maybe, you know what, I just think I figured it out. Maybe the reason that I didn't even really think about that is because I've been hearing for years, I've been hearing it basically since the show came out, that Ray, or not Ray, I'm sorry, that Cora, there we go, is a Mary Sue. And so I'm like watching her, like, are we watching the same character? We've had this talk multiple times now, but like I'm watching her and she's failing constantly. She has, you know, aggression issues. She's not a perfect ray of sunshine. Like, you know, she she messes up all the time. And she loses and, fights. And, and for you, it's, it's validating the counter argument for you that she's not a Mary Sue. Right, exactly. So I didn't even look at the other side of like, well, like, wow she <laughs> she, she has no agency she's punished every time she puts herself out there she is so flawed that she just can't get a win right which is interesting that like the different again mindsets that we're coming from <laughs> um, yeah and when she does and the biggest win she gets is in the season finale when once again a man the ghost of ang appears to her and just gifts the weak crying girl curled up in fetal position and saves her by gifting her the avatar state and i'm like what what yeah um yeah that's that is interesting i think that it definitely changes uh that as the seasons go on, but there are things that you've mentioned that I'm like, ooh, I don't... That'll be interesting when we get to the... <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, and it will, for sure. You know way more than I do what's coming, but, you know, but relating this to myself, you know, I am in the middle of writing right now um, my upcoming novel, Grimguard, Heirs of Destruction, and one of the key things that I, as a writer, am challenged with, as I may have mentioned once before, is that the key protagonist is a woman. And as a male writer, there's a lot of things I need to keep in balance. I I need to um, understand that it's a natural tendency of male writers to objectify and to idealize 
the 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 female lead and i'm mm-hmm. you know always kind of wary of myself for that but i also have to make sure that i'm neither making her vulnerable moments and make her to appear weak or too dependent on other people while at the same time not tending toward the mary sue or the toxic aggressive uh character and making her so dominant and so assertive and so herself that she doesn't need anybody else and she is a mary sue and she can't fail at anything mm-hmm. and i don't want to say it's a tightrope walk because it really isn't but it is it is a lane you have to stay in right you know and so it's just kind of i'm more aware of it now more than ever and that's probably why this trend in the show is starting to like bother <laughs> me what's an itch that i can't right. get at and i'm waiting for i'm waiting for a future season to scratch it with to get rid of it for me yes and that that is interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. So now I can like, as the as we go through this season, I can be like, hmm, maybe Todd was right. <laughs> like you see what I'm saying, right? Yeah, no, no, I totally do. And I, you yeah, know, like I said, I agree so far. I think that it does change. It does get better. Um, yeah, but I'm we're sure, not I'm sure there it will. Yet, so. <laughs> yeah but um no but again but the episode is the episode is good um again it 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 has a lot of uh good fight sequences in it as they're confronted by the the angry spirits in the mountains um it does have some bowling comedy of him on the snowmobile with his um i don't know what you want to call him let's just call her his captor for right now um his captor slash girlfriend um (laughs) the fact that her brother is there the entire time too makes it a little weird um (laughs) but uh (laughs) the water tribe there's some hijinks going on in the water tribe man sweet home aquabama (laughs) right they are the lannisters of this of this universe Oh my god but you know but cord does you'll know, get in and get get her find her way in to the the south pole and she finds the portal room i love how she just finds this, like giant glowing light out of the ice and it's like ha huh, the portal room and i'm like yeah i guess like well what else would you call it at this point you just find a giant glowing ball under the ice sure right. gotta be it right um and then she accesses it and again one of the most beautiful sequences in the show so far and i really love her all tangled up in like the the tendrils of the mm. angry spirits is she's entered the avatar state her booster rocket <laughs> let's just call it like what it is and was... she touches the portal and i love it yeah i swear i thought you're gonna make it i've seen enough hentai to know where this is going <laughs> <laughs> hey you said it not hey. being fan fiction <laughs> great <laughs> Oh gosh. I just I showed you the door and you opened it. Exactly. Um <laughs> let me say the word again, just tendrils. Right. Uh, um and that was great, but you know, I went, but once again at the end we have this sort of like you know, very, very ominous evil Uncle Scar moment of them arriving back at the south pole and here come a whole bunch of are are they northern water tribe warships is that what those are rolling into the harbor yes yes they are northern water tribe soldiers yeah and uh and we know that some uh some stuff's about to go down so not really sure what his end game is and i kind of like the way the episode left it really vague where he's like oh the, the second part's a little harder you know and i'm just like i don't know what that means but it sounds evil and it sounds like i was confirmed my <laughs> suspicions are confirmed at this point i feel very validated thank you very much <laughs> right 
yeah yeah it does end on a ominous but overall i kind of like this episode i i i do like this episode i want to say actually i like this episode pretty good the visuals were good i thought the plot line was pretty stirring and while there's things that i like dislike about you know some trends within the show and the characters um i think that the story actually has me pretty pretty grabbed at this point uh, and i i like that i like that while the setup is pretty predictable i kind of don't know what this guy's end game is like what does he actually want to do <laughs> oh boy just wait <laughs> I don't know how to interpret that, but I guess I will. I guess I'll wait. Um, but no, my my uh, my rating for the episode uh, is actually going to be significantly higher. Um, it's going to be uh, I'm going to give this like a seven point nine out of ten for me. Interesting. Um, I think I'm also going to go higher, but just barely. Um, and I think I'm going to give this episode a 7.2. I'll give it what you gave the last one. Um, <laughs> because um, I think that, well, first of all, it would have gotten even more if Varric was involved, but it's fine. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I do like the uh, the visuals of, like you were saying, the, the fight with the spirits inside the portal and the actual opening of the portal. And I do like that we get a bit of backstory, um, fleshing out Tonrock and Unalok. And we kind of get a sense of like foreboding for what's coming, but we're not quite sure, like you said, what exactly that is. Um, but just mm -hmm. that something bad is on the horizon. So, um, so yeah, uh, I 7.2, I think is a pretty good, decent this is, like the, this is like the, this is like the first time in a long time if ever that i have rated two episodes and you've gone lower than me on both of them mm -hmm. yeah man but me I, and my but... optimistic fresh eyes on season two i'm <laughs> I I, i'm such a sweet summer child wandering in having no idea what's coming yeah no but i'm glad that you're like you know, you're not as hooked as the first season, but at least you're not like immediately turned off. Like, oh god, like this is so no. boring or whatever. No, like, you, there it's are things that you're literally unwatchable. <laughs> literally, some people, <laughs> like honestly, some people just after the first episode of season two, they turned it off, never turned it back on again. Kind of like what your friend said at the office at yeah. the end of season one. They're like, all right, never need to watch it again. Yep. And I'm like, well, you're missing out on some good TV. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, no, we will continue plowing through. And uh, again, as I said, um, I, it, the villain's motivation and his goals being so vague at this point um, really has me intrigued for what comes next. More so, just to find out what happens because it's just a giant question mark, and uh, we'll hopefully get some of our questions answered. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can 